0: Well good morning, Grace. It is a great morning of celebration for us. I'm so excited about today, and not just about today, but what God's going to be doing over the next several weeks in us and through us. Um, before we jump into our text today, I did want to kind of place some things in context if I can. Um, so r- I had a lady come up to me. Uh, I was at a separate event at our kids' school, and she goes, she goes, "Pastor Mike." She goes, I was, de-. now she doesn't go to our church or anything, uh, in fact, uh, I kind of knew this girl in high school, and she comes out to me and she said, you know, she goes, Pastor Mike, I, I, uh, <laughs> I got defriended by somebody that I really love, you know, over the election, you know, and, and then I started researching it and saw all of this rampant defriending going on. People are angry and frustrated and some people are happy and elated and it doesn't matter what side you're on and all that. Here's, here's the thing I just kind of wanted to bring here. Our world is the kind of place that is always, not sometimes and not even right now, but it is always going to be doing this. It is always going to be going up and down and things are going to seem great and then they're going to fall apart and things are going to seem great and then they're going to fall apart. Um, the world that we live in is filled with entropy. It is constantly constantly going from order to disorder and chaos. And so that happens in our lives at times, and we feel that intensely. And so I just want to just make recognition of that right now and just say, I feel it too. We all feel it. But one of the things that happened was that this this initiative came at just the right time with just the right theme, one, that we are one. And I don't just mean politically or as a country, but I mean spiritually we are one. And so this morning, we're going to be celebrating the idea that we get to invest not in that which is temporary and goes away. I mean, Jesus himself said, fix your eyes on what is seen, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And this morning, we're going to talk about focus and commitment, because this is Commitment Sunday. And we've been praying for you, and we've been praying for your families, And we've been waiting for this day so that we can show God that he is indeed number one in our life in the area of finances and in other areas as well. As we do this, though, I'm going to put it in a larger context. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. And if, again, you joined us today uh, for the first time, this is a perfect weekend for you to be here. Because you're about to see some stuff that God is about to do in our church which is going to set us up for the next several years, and we are really excited, and we hope that you join us on that journey. Matthew chapter 6, let's read the text, and then I want to walk through a broader context of what God is doing here. All right, Matthew 6, verse 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then it seems like in some kind of just really um, odd non sequitur, He changes subjects and goes on to something that doesn't seem at first glance to make a whole lot of sense. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's fascinating that uh, the Scripture is so fundamentally clear here. Jesus is so fundamentally clear about the concept of money, your heart, and what you owe your allegiance to. The reason for this is because Jesus knew, and he spoke a ton about money in the New Testament, But Jesus knew that money would be one of the great obstacles to your spiritual life. That you would give your heart to it, your allegiance to it, that you would give your affections to it. And then once you've given your affections to your money, you no longer own your money, your money now owns you. And so what I'd like to do right here is just in the context of a couple of chapters here, just two, is go back to, if you're in your Bibles, go to Matthew 5, and I want you to look at a couple of things that he's doing here. Matthew 5 is Jesus' sermon, and it's the greatest sermon in, hum, in human history. He says some things that seem at first glance to, to, to really challenge the status quo and the mentality of the culture around him. Because some of these, just listen to some of these words, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Now, that's not what our, country, our, our culture says. Our culture says, blessed are the beautiful and young and talented. Not blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, Jesus begins to challenge the status quo. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Not blessed are those who get their 15 minutes of fame. And so just like in our culture, when we hear these words, they seem a little bit contrary to the way the world works. In the same way, in Jesus' world, these would have been very foreign words to the people who are listening to them as well. And yet, he's describing this beautiful spiritual reality that's bigger than just a culture and just a moment in time. These are timeless words that will go on forever and ever. And then out of them, he begins to talk about us and our hearts and how we're supposed to live our lives. He talks about being salt and light, that we're supposed to be different than the world around us, that our affections are attached to greater things than just that which is temporary. He talks about the fact that Christ came to fulfill the law, which, man, for so many in that day was such a big deal because the law was everything to them. And when Jesus came to fulfill the law, to complete it, People were stunned by it. Many couldn't believe it. Others believed it and were set free. Just like people who are committed to something, and, and, and then Jesus comes along. He says, I want to let you be committed to something greater. The law it was beautiful, great, and glorious, but all it did was point you to you. And it pointed you to the simple fact that you'd never be God. You could never be in control. You could never have it all. And then Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to purchase it all for you through my blood, through my death, through my sacrifice, and through my resurrection. And people were set free. And this led to things in the Christians' lives. It led led to, to, to Jesus challenging things that were intrinsic to some of us. Things like lust and divorce and oaths that we make, promises that we make. He's like, the Christian life should fundamentally be different because you have been set free by the gospel, he says, when somebody retaliates against you and strikes you, turn your cheek. You don't need to re- respond with, with, with hatred, not for an eye for an eye. Love your enemies. That was shocking to people. Love my enemies. I love my family. I love my friends. But Jesus says, go deeper than that. Love your enemies. And then he says, I want you to give to the needy. I want you to give to the poor. I want you to give to the downhearted. I want you to give to those who are struggling And then he gives us the beautiful and glorious Lord's Prayer that we just prayed twice up here this morning. And then he gives us this idea of fasting. And he says, I want you to just, I want you to empty yourself so that I can make, so you can make space, so that I can fill you in ways that you may not experience on a day-to-day basis. And these things just captivate the hearts of the people. And then, like he switches subjects again, he begins to talk very practically about our stuff. And he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And what he means by that basically is he's saying, don't just spend all your time working for the sake of accumulating. Back in the 1980s, there was this, uh, there was this little um, bumper sticker kind of thing, and it says, he who dies with the most toys wins. And it revealed kind of a materialistic, a, a materialism worldview but that basically said the universe that we live in is this closed box, and there's nothing outside the box. It's just this closed box. And inside this box is what we call reality. It's just simply every single thing in the universe, it's a physical universe known by the five senses. And if you live in that s- physical universe known by the five senses, there's all there is there's nothing else. So you got to take everything inside that box and organize it in such a way that it allows you to live the maximum amount of life that you can and with the maximum amount of joy that you can. So if you accumulate stuff and experiences, that is how you win. And Jesus comes busting in with these ancient words, do not lay up treasures for yourself. Uh, just the other day, I was uh, hanging out uh, with my family. And my, my little girl, Katie Claire, she was um, talking to us. And, and we were talking about something that we were going to do. And she goes, we better do it. You only live once. And, uh, and I was like, no, no. We live twice. We live here, and then we live somewhere else. And because we live somewhere else, it informs the way that we live here. But I don't need to grab every experience, and I don't need to grab every circumstance, and I don't need to have every single good and service. Because why? This is just a a flicker of a flame that's going out. It is just a moment in time that is fading away. And if I put myself and all that I am in this moment, I lose everything because the moment is passing. It's going away. And so because Jesus loves us, he wants us to understand that there are treasures that are worth investing in. There are treasures that are worth having, but those treasures are not here today and gone tomorrow. They're forever. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break into steel. I always thought that those words were kind of weird. Um, Moth? (laughs) Like, what is that? But if you go back and you look at some of the commentaries, some of the, some of the commentators talk about the fact that Hebrew cultures and Oriental cultures were very, very pro um, showing off their wealth and their, their their security and their power by how they dressed, right? And so you would have people dressed in Um, like we talked about just a few weeks ago dressed in purple which was kind of a a royal raiment right it was a royal robe dressed in purple gold gilding silver gilding on the clothes and so he's saying here don't invest in things that are just temporary like your clothes because you know what's going to happen one day a moth is going to come along and tear them up one day something in this world is going to kill something else that you love in this world and you're going to be at a loss and I remember thinking, like these are weird words. A long time ago, and then one day I came in my favorite coat in my house right now. My favorite coat. I put it on. I'm like, boom! I'm wearing this for church. Hole, hole, hole. I was like, Kelly, what is this? She goes, I guess we have moths. These are the, these little demons. Through thousands of years of history, have been destroying clothes left and right. But if I put all my hope, I know it sounds silly, in a little coat. I'm lost. "And then he says, this rust, because back then they don't have banks like they have no concept of a bank. So if you have more than you need in the ancient world, here's what you did with it. You oftentimes you buried it in the ground. And because they didn't really purify gold as well as we purify gold and things like that, it was partly made up you know, gold's not solid gold. It's made up of other alloys and things like that. It would begin to rust, and it would begin to corrode. And then where thieves break in to steal, the, the houses that they had back then, they were basically built out of stones with mortar in between, but, but if you left your house, a little thief could just start sawing through and just basically tear down an entire wall, walk in and steal everything you have. So these things that Jesus is doing is he's rooting it very clearly in the hearts and minds of his readers, of his listeners, and he's saying, make sure that you're not torn up by something like a small moth that comes to, 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 to steal from you what you value and treasure corrode what you have and you possess or somebody comes in and takes what you own. And then I love it because after that he says the opposite of that. He doesn't just say, don't do that. He says, do do something else. And what is the thing he says to do? It's this, verse 20. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It seems that Jesus is saying that somehow the way that we live now impacts the way that we live there, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where no thief will break in and steal. And then he does this summary statement here, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's, here's his point to this. You can invest in something that's pa- passing away. And we live in a world, I used the word earlier, but we live in a world of physical laws, natural laws, and one of those natural laws is called the law of, na- of entropy, and the natural law of entropy basically says that everything goes from order to disorder, from organization to disorganization, into chaos. And so what that means is that, um, and this is why, uh, ladies, um, when you come home uh, from work and your kids have been there all day, the, the house didn't go from in the morning being, clean, being uh, dirty to clean all of a sudden. Like, you've never seen that. You, it just, it doesn't happen, right? It, it, it doesn't happen. You don't, you don't come home one day and everything's boom, it's all clean. Why? Because we don't go from order to disorder. We, go, we don't go from disorder to order. We go from order to disorder. And so as we're thinking about these things, remember that everything that we invest in here is just temporary. It's just here and now. But the second part says that what we do can somehow impact the way that we live. And it starts with our heart. He says this. I love it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But I want you to read it backwards because I think sometimes reading this backwards might help us a little bit. Here we go. So it starts with where, where, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. See, on the one hand, the first way that he says it, it means that the way that you direct your heart is by placing your treasure somewhere. You want to love something? Invest in it. You want to love something, you invest in it. This is why when you bought that car that you loved, all of a sudden you started seeing that everybody else on the road drives the same car. You didn't realize it beforehand. You're like, wow, I got this car. It's fantastic. I love it. But now all of a sudden everybody else drives the same car. Why? Because you have your eyes open to it. You're looking for it. You're invested in it. And it's important for us to understand this because if we invest our life and our minds and our hearts in simply things that pass away and go away, then we'll be undone by those things. This is Something like that happened to me. Because um, I know some of you guys, when it comes to church and giving and things like that, you, this morning, your heart may be like conflicted. And I get that. And we're not saying don't be conflicted. We're simply asking you to trust Jesus. Because sometimes, you know, we have experiences that we draw in from the past that have been hard. And just three weeks ago, I told you that one of the challenges that the gospel gives to us is that we put things from our past behind us and then we strive forward. I want to tell you a story that I, one time that I gave... Uh, something to somebody and it, it, it didn't turn out well I've done it twice in my life the first time was with my wife's uh, wedding ring I gave my uh, wife's wedding ring or the diamond in the wedding ring we did to 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 another couple and that just didn't work out really well it was weird it's kind of strange but here's here's what I really coveted in high school in high school I coveted uh, my my friend's 280zx do you remember those raise your hands if you remember the 280zx all right great if you do not uh that's fine but you need to go look it up because it's awesome. All right. So I love the 280z X. It was one of the best, the best cars. And I had a great car. I had a Camaro, but before I got that Camaro, my dad and I we went shopping. And I said, Dad, what we want to do is we want to buy a 1983 280 ZX. It was last year they made them. And that was the first I think it was the first year they made cars that when you open the door, it said, Your door is open. Your door is But it said it in a Japanese voice. It was so cool. It was so cool. So loved it. T tops, the whole thing. I love that car so much. Coveted my friend's car. So my dad and I, he said, you know, let's go, let's go car shopping. And so I said, well, that's funny that you say that. I found in the paper here somebody who's selling a 280 ZX 1983. Can we go look at it? So we go over there and we look at it. And I'm walking through it, and I'm like, geez, this is so cool. It's blue and silver T tops. Oh my gosh, it was so stick shift. It has to be stick shift. You don't buy a 280 ZX that's automatic. All right. You buy it stick shift, just like you don't buy a 911 that's automatic. <laughs> just in case when you're ready to do that, all right? So, so, so here's, here's what happens. We, we go there, and I'm looking at it, and we test drive it, and it's just the coolest. I mean, dreams coming true left and right. You know, it's great. Unbelievable. And my dad, just he gets down to the last second of it, and he goes, he's like, I don't think this is a car for us. And I'm so bummed, and I'm so frustrated. So he's like, I need, you need a more reliable car. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you got in mind? He's like, let's just go look at cars. And so we arrive in 1988 at the Hyundai dealership. <laughs> now, I drive a Hyundai today, and it's an awesome car. I'll highly promote it to you. It's great. I love that car. It's a great car, right? But in 1988, Hyundais were awful, right? <laughs> Terrible cars, right? So we get in. We're test driving. I put it in first gear. I start cruising down the road. <laughs> and uh, and uh, i I'm like, it's like, boo hit Second gear, it's like, Ugh. you know, third gear, you know, I was just dying, you know. And I'm like, Dad, this car's so slow. Kids at Oviedo High School are gonna mock me, you know, like this is terrible, you know. And, and no joke, the guy in the, ba- the back seat, the guy who's in the, 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 the car salesman in the back seat, puts his hand on my dad's shoulder and goes, It really is. <laughs> it, it, it really is, you know, you know, and, and, and I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, gosh, you have so much integrity, but you're gonna have terrible car salesman, you know. I mean, just terrible. So you fast forward. I get married, and uh, I get married, and somebody sells this really, really beautiful. It was just, it was, it was the thing that you it never happens. It was this old woman. Two eighty ZX has been sitting in her in her garage forever. They open the door. It's like, go, you know. And I'm like, yes, finally. I'm an adult. I'm 22. I'm buying my Z. You know, and so I buy the 280ZX and it's great. And I love the car. I drive it for like three years, love it, polish it every day. It's just like me and the Z. But, but while I love the Z, uh, you know, God always speaks to me about like my stuff. And he says, hey, Mike, I want you to give your Z away. And I'm like, okay, who do you want me to give it to? And he tells me a name very specifically, this guy in our church, right? And I'm like, hey, I won't tell you his name uh, for what happens next. But I, 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 said, I said, you know, here's my Z. God told me to give it to you. I know that you've been eyeing it for a long time. I know you like Z's like I like Z's. Here's my car. And he's like, ah, I can't believe it. And then like just everything kind of goes south. Over the next like six months to a year, just his life and his marriage begin to fall apart. He just becomes this drug guy with prescription drugs and abusive to his wife and, 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 and just it's harsh, it's ugly, it's a bad scene. We have to intervene like 10 times. And a part of me in the background is like, God, why'd you make me do that? Like, why did I get away my, at least it could be in the garage right now. Put that in the bad boy in there and drive it around every once in a while. Why'd you make me do that? He said, so it wasn't about him, it's about you. Because when you give stuff away that you love, it shows me that you love me more. And that's what this whole text is right here. It's not, a, it's, not about, it's not about a number that you're going to give because all that stuff is between you and God. I don't have anything to do with that. It's about whether or not you're going to put God first in your life. At the end of the day, God is ultimately number one over every area of our life. And I want you to see how um, the Old Testament gives us exactly this kind of Proverbs 11:23 23 through 25. I want you to see something here. Um, this, this is the book of wisdom, Proverbs. It's the book of, um, of of knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And this is what it says, 1123. We'll just put it up there on the screen. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. Now, now that's true and false, right? Um, because this, these things are truisms, not promises. They're truisms, right? So, So sometimes we notice, sometimes we notice that the righteous end in bad in this life, right? And, and, and that the expectations of the wicked end in good in this life. So what he's talking about here in an ultimate sense is forever. Ultimately, the righteous end in good, no matter what. If your life is up and down forever and ever and ever, and you hold on to Jesus through your life, and Jesus holds on to you forever, then Jesus will hold on to you forever. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. So we see this eternal perspective, and then it goes... To the second part, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. One withholds what he should give and only suffers want. We see things to the contrary of that as well, but these are truisms that generally speaking, this is how it works. And then lastly, it says this, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. And so it goes from eternal realities down to spiritual realities down to physical realities. And so for us, there is this deep connection, and Jesus makes it very well in chapter 6. There is this deep connection between what I have and my heart. What I have and my heart. That somehow, in some way, if I trust and I commit to him first, and I focus on him first, God is glorified and it changes me. And then in verse 22, back in our passage on Matthew 6, it seems like he just goes off into a non sequitur, doesn't quite follow. Here's what it says. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. So what, what is he talking about here? Well, okay, everybody close your eyes real quick. Close your eyes. We're not doing something new age, don't worry. All right, close your eyes. All right, and I'm, just keep them closed even when I say what I'm going to say. All right, look over there. All right, open your eyes. How many of you, just, just out of curiosity, how many of you thought I pointed that direction? Just, just out of curiosity, all right? Okay. How many over there? Dude, that's weird. I pointed over there. That's kind of that's kind of weird. That's kind of that's kind of odd. Okay. I'm not gonna lie. But well, watch this. Watch this. Now, watch this. Everybody, p- look up here. So, so with your eyes open, with your eyes functioning, you're able to focus yourself. When your eyes are closed, and your eyes are off. You can't focus. You can focus all together in one direction when somebody points in that direction. The bio- Jesus is saying that when your eyes are filled with light, the ability to reflect and refract light, you can see clearly. You can be focused. You know where you're going. He says, if they're filled with light, you're functioning well. But if you're filled with darkness, you're functioning poorly. And the idea behind this is this kind of this metaphor that describes your spiritual life. If, if, if I'm filled with darkness on the inside, then I'm going to be unfocused, multidirectional, And ultimately, unfulfilled. Here, it ends with this phrase. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if I claim to be filled with light, but I'm filled with darkness, it's even worse. And then he finally finishes this whole thing here in verse 24. He brings it all back around. So the first part is... Don't invest in things that are temporary, that go away. The second part is make sure that you are focused in the Godward direction. And then number three, it says, it, it shows the outcome of these of these two things. Number 20, or verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. This is probably one of, those, uh, one of the strongest... Um, statements in the Bible about money. It's one of the strongest statements in the Bible, period, because there are very few things that God says, you can't do this and this and love me. He simply says, you can't love money and me. Why? Because money unfocuses us and refocuses us on things that are here and now and not reflecting the eternal realities of His kingdom.